Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am very excited to have with me as my guest today, Blair Singer. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You are very welcome. Let me tell you, the audience, a little bit about Blair. Blair Singer is currently an executive story editor for Fairly Legal on USA and Memphis Beat on TNT. Other television work includes Weeds, Monk, and The Book of Daniel. As a playwright, Blair's play, Matthew Modine, saves... The alpacas? Alpacas. Alpacas. It's a llama-like animal. (laughs) Yes, there we go. Matthew Modine saves the alpacas, starring Matthew Modine, Perry Gilpin, and French Stewart was seen at the Geffen Theater last September. In November 2008, his play The Most Damaging Wound had a sold-out run at Manhattan Theater Source and was praised as an artful comic drama. Oh, I love that. Praised, yes. Love that. Love that. By the New York Times. Oh, that's a big part. Yeah. Other plays include Meg's New Friend, Mackerel's Army Life. Some other stuff I wrote. Some other stuff. Yeah, there was just some other stuff. Some plays. All the plays. The plays are great. Yeah. Yeah, we love plays. On the web, Blair created The Suffersons, starring Michael Chernus. The Suffersons premiered on RocketBoom.com and was seen by over 100,000 viewers. So they tell me. I love that. Yes. He was also a writer for the web series Lonely Girl 15. Heard great things about that, so I definitely want to get into that mm-hmm. as well. Blair is a graduate of Juilliard School of mm, Drama and yes. is a member of the MCC Playwrights Coalition. So playwriting has always been a part of your love and your passion. Definitely. Yes? Would you say Play- that started everything I, off? Um, I would say what started it off is most kids, I think, who get into theater was acting. Um, and then eventually I realized I was pretty I think bad would be an understatement. Right. I was Um, as well. (laughs) And so from being a terrible actor with a lot of love for it, but not much of the talent, then moving on to playwriting. Yeah, playwriting was sort of the natural extension of I wanted to be in the rehearsal room. I just didn't want to do any. I didn't want to be an actor anymore, and I don't think anybody wanted me to be an actor anymore. (laughs) And uh, so playwriting sort of was the next available option. Ah, and at what age was that? Oh, late, late. I mean, right. very late. I, I think I, I, when I went to Juilliard as an actor, I wrote a, my first play. But prob- Juilliard is not easy to get into. Yeah, but I think I just, I, I had a good day at the audition. And right. uh, I wanted it. I wanted it really badly. Right. I just didn't have it. Right. You know, but I think yeah. wanting it gets you far. I agree. I think staying in it, you need to have more talent and, but certainly drive and ambition. Um, I mean, I find that even with writing and in a television career, 
you know, uh, if you want it, yeah, you'll get something. I agree. Well, and it it's passion and going after it, and it's putting the work in. Absolutely. So I think you know, even though the acting wasn't your your first calling, it led you to your calling. Yeah, and which, I, I think you know, for me, what was great about Juilliard was, um, first of all, that I get to say I went to Juilliard, which sounds so sexy. Right. It does. Um, and. Um, <laughs> And and it also does, you know, now on the set when I'm with actors, um, it does give me a language yeah, that, that a lot of people don't have. And, yeah. and, and an understanding that or, or it gives me some street cred with yep. actors. Love it. Um, but also I think the discipline that Juilliard instilled about how to train your body and your your instrument to be an actor I think that discipline translates very well to being a writer, which is waking up every morning and, and doing the things that you have to do to get your work done. Right. And showing up. Right. Um, you know, to me, showing up is Huge. is it. That's yeah. all it is. I and, agree. And then you hope that, uh, you know, I, I happen to believe in God, but you, you hope that, that God gave you enough talent to that people are impressed. But you'll never get there if you don't show up at the desk. Yeah. And so that, that was the big thing about Juilliard was um, – you know, just that was a great thing to learn. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. big thing. It's the big thing. So, yeah, but um, I mean, I love playwriting in the sense that I love telling stories through dialogue mm-hmm. without anything, with without stopping, breaking. Um, that you're revealing things only through dialogue. I think that's a really interesting challenge. Uh, you know, I think TV is also an interesting challenge, uh, but completely separate. Right. Um, which is how do you tell a story, keep it moving, keep it at a pace that people are interested in while they're going to the refrigerator and looking at their phones and looking at their computer and um, a commercial's coming up. And, you know, the, you have to, there's a drive in television that, that I think you have to adhere to and you have to take ownership of. Right. And that I find very exciting. Oh, that's great. Well, I mean, it, it is interesting because when you look at all the different platforms of plays versus TV versus features versus webisodes, I mean, TV is definitely, you know, the type of job where you the hours are some shows crazy hours, yeah. some not so much, but they are every, like whereas features are, is a very, you know, isolated existence. I think TV it I think is a great arena because it you have to have a healthy lifestyle. You have to, you know, I mean, it is it, it because of it. I don't want to say it's a nine to five because there is no such thing as that anymore. Right. But but still, you have to put the time in, you yeah. know, and I, I remember when I worked at Spelling, it was fascinating when we had um a writer from Backdraft who developed uh, Rescue 77. And it was fascinating to see uh, Gregory Wyden, what it was to uh, go from the feature to the TV world. And I would imagine what was it like transition-wise to go from the playwright world to the TV world. You know, for me, I I think the biggest thing for me to learn um, was about being in a writer's room and what my job was in a writer's room and um, not being the guy running the show. Yeah. Um, I think I made a lot of bumps and bruises on right. the way. Everyone uh, does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they some, do. some more than others. <laughs> I did plenty. Of, so if there's anybody listening who hasn't done them yet, yeah. I've done plenty for you. <laughs> well, um, you on can, that subject, which is a great one, 
what would you like if you thinking about what your expectation was of going into the writer's room before it and then now that you've been in it for several years what would you say you wish you knew when you started um i wish i knew i i'm glad i made the mistakes i made because i think so i'm i'm glad that i didn't know any of that um but i do think there are some things that i wish friends of mine or students of mine or you know because I, I i teach back in new york right at, at times and i think i wish i knew that a i already had the job so i didn't need to prove it in the writer's room i think uh early on that's great every day yeah. i'd show up and think i gotta prove that i belong here i gotta prove that they didn't make the wrong decision hiring me and um i gotta prove that i'm smart and i gotta and eventually I just became annoying. It was right. sort of like, you know, why is the staff writer talking so much? <laughs> um, and and then what I, what I think I've come to realize is that you're in service to the board. You're in service to the story. And, um, and you're also, you know, with awareness of that you're in an office environment, mm -hmm. that you, that, that, and uh, my boss over at Memphis Beat is a, is a brilliant, person named Jan Nash. Great. And, oh, yeah. And, and we, Jan's great. Jan and I were talking about this podcast. Right. And she said, you know, th about the office environment, she said, and you know, it's an office environment where people are sharing their personal lives yeah. to create content. Right. And I think when I was younger in the business, I wasn't necessarily young, but I was younger in the business, um, I, you know, if I heard an idea that I didn't think was very good. I would dismiss it. Like I thought it was my job to say, oh, that's not a good idea. And I think it took some humbling and getting fired and to realize that my job is to support and to help get the best out of myself and out of my colleagues mm -hmm. and to be a great teammate. And um, and then it's somebody else's job to say, I want to I like that idea. I want to do a different idea. I don't like that idea. It's not my job. Right. Um, and maybe when I get my own show, maybe it will be my job to say, gosh, you know, I don't like that. Or maybe it'll just be my job to say, I like both those ideas. I like this one better. Let's go with this one. Keep pitching as hard as you possibly can. Right. Because um, you don't want to shut anybody down. You want I, that. Yeah, I think, you know, you touched on some great things. I mean, I think... Um, I know from I'm the writing instructor at NBC's Writers on the Verge, and we have um, many of the writers come in from their shows and speak to the group. And some of the things that have come up, which is interesting, is certainly the staff writer has the um, challenge of either not talking enough or talking too much, right. number one. And then number two, it really is looking at um, when somebody pitches an idea and I love that you said that because I I think you are right I think when you're just starting you shouldn't uh, excuse for <laughs> better language but you shouldn't piss on somebody else's That's idea right. because really it, it it's about creating a safe environment and so you know one of the things they said which I think is a good thing and I think as you go up it is something that will become more comfortable that you can do but I think there's a way to do it by suggesting something that might, you know, taking a kernel of what they had and giving them credit for that and right. then suggesting a new direction. So I think there's a way to do it 
where it doesn't so slight somebody. And I, as you say, everybody has to learn that by doing it. Yeah, I you think, know? you know, I've sort of done a total 180. Yeah. Um, to me, uh, and, I, and I think I, I could probably be accused of being too positive. Right. And um, uh, I'll take that because I, I feel like if you're in a room of talented people or yeah. you're working with a talented writer, what they really need is encouragement. Yeah. They don't need to be criticized. They don't need to be judged. They don't need to be, you know, we all have a critic on our shoulder anyway while we're writing. Yep. I want to be true. the guy who's saying, this is great. Give me more of that. This, yeah. You know, wow, this was a great scene. Um, you know, hey, what if, can you take that scene and bring that up to this scene? Because this scene, you know, is just incredible. Right. And I think you get better results. Yeah. I think you get better results. And I think in a team environment, which I think, what I love about television is it it fulfills my sports dream. Right. You know, where I get to be part of a team that does something hopefully special. Right. And um, I think you want your teammates to think, hey, that guy's got my back. Yeah. Not, uh, I better look over my shoulder if I pitch something because he may tear me down. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, when you're younger, not even in television, but just when you're going to college and – you can get laid by, you know, I remember in acting school I would criticize people and, and people thought I was so smart because I was critical. Right. And I would actually get laid because of it. I mean, forgive my... <laughs> no, um, no. And, um, you know, because I sort of set myself up as I'm smarter than everybody and I see the truth better than everybody. Right. And it's just bullshit. Yeah. Um, All the masks we wear. It's just horrible. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, you know, I got to a point... Um, after uh, uh, I got, I got, I think you would say my contract didn't get picked up at yes, Leeds. Yes, exactly. And um, <laughs> with good reason, I wouldn't right. have picked me up. Right. Um, and my contract didn't get picked up. And I went back home uh, to New York and I started teaching adults. I had always taught high school kids in the Bronx, but right. this was the first time I taught adults television. Right. And I set up this construct where I didn't want to teach how to write a pilot. Because I thought, you know what, if you're in New York, you should learn how to, what you sh what you need to learn is where the business is, which is in Los Angeles. And you need to know a little bit something about the business so that when you get out there, you're not going to be t t totally screwed. Uh, yep. Um, and my feeling is if you can write, you can write and you can figure out how to write a pilot. If you can't write, I can't help you. Yeah. I mean, you know. And and by that, I mean if you, you wake up every morning. You can give talent to someone. Talent is. That's right. You can't give talent yeah. and you can't give ambition. Yeah. You can give guidance you can give talent, and tools. That's right. Yes. I mean, and that's those are huge. Yeah. Um, but you you can't teach a non-writer to be a writer. Yes. A writer is a writer. And then you can, you know, there are wonderful angels like right. yourself. Thank I work you. with a producer named Robin Budd on a right. project. That, um, and she's, you know, she was my angel. She right. was there for me to get that critic out of my way and to say, write what you want to write. And we'll, wor we'll worry about it at the end of the day. But, but you know, write your, write the thing that's burning you up. Yeah. And then let's not worry about whether it will sell, whether it won't sell, whether it'll get you that job. Just write it. And then yeah. At the end of the day, we'll evaluate. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, for me, it's about, I work with some really talented people at both Fairly Legal and Memphis Beat. And and they're, 
they're just really good. And good. so when I get so scripts, you're learning a lot. I'm learning. Yeah. And I'm just great I'm, shows. I'm and we'll to, have to now give a shout out to the shows. So right, night so and time. F- fairly legal. Thursday nights on USA at 10 p.m. after Royal Pains. And then I think at some point we go after movies. But for right now, after Royal Pains. And then uh, Memphis Beat, I believe, comes back in June. Great. And I have no idea what night that is. Okay. And I believe our lead in is Hawthorne, but I, I'm not sure. This okay, is, great. Memphis Beat is a new one for me, so yeah, um, which I feel very. And so you're grateful. writing on two shows at one time. I've I've known a few writers that have had this good fortune. What is what is it's, this experience it's, like? It's um it's unbelievable, and I feel like the luckiest writer. And I'm sure those people who know me who have been in writers' rooms know that I'm the luckiest writer because it certainly wasn't talent. Um, <laughs> Look I, at I, you. Uh, you know, I got very, I was very fortunate that I'm fairly legal. We had an amazing writer's room um, where we just had a great time and we we ducked and dodged together. The room moved as one, led by a phenomenal leader named Michael Sardo, who's the creator and showrunner. Great. And just set this great vibe for all of us and we felt very protected to do the best work we could possibly do. It's a great show. I saw, yeah, oh, the pilot's great. Thank yeah. you. Um, you know, it's, I'm proud of the whole accomplishment yeah. and what went into making the show and, you know, discovering a show in its first year. And, yeah. Um, I just, I loved being part of Michael's team. He's he's just a, a, a great guy. And yeah. I, I feel so fortunate, um, beyond fortunate to find him. Great. Because um, I think if I hadn't found him soon, I was probably going to go away and make tables, which would be probably bad tables because I'm a Jew and not much of a carpenter. <laughs> Um, and and while I was there, Jan Nash, who ran Without a Trace with Greg Walker, yeah, of course, um, she had gotten the offer yeah. to take over Memphis Beat, yeah. And we hadn't talked about it, but we just did talk about. I watched the show, and Jan and I are very close, and so we would talk about the show and what you know what we liked and what we thought could be improved upon, and but just as friends, mm-hmm. I never thought I was coming on and. And then when she took the job, when she finally decided to take the job, um, she was working with Greg on the Defenders for a little while, and we would talk on the on her way out to Burbank or wherever they work and back in, and we would talk on the phone about the show. And then at some point she said, you know, I really want you and Jimmy, Jim, Jim Adler, right. to come join a, me on staff. If oh, we I can... didn't know he was doing both yeah, as well. Yeah, Jimmy's doing both as right. well. And so, um, you know, it's just – it's. I mean, we're off season, um, and so it it was a perfect fit that I know never happens. Right. And there's not a day that goes by that I that I don't feel incredibly grateful for the opportunities on both shows, and just for the opportunities to work in this business, which is so hard. And yeah. there's so many talented people, and and I I, I feel like a glutton with two jobs. Right. But, um, I'm not giving but either of them it back. But it's what it takes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's what it... Craig Sweeney went through that with four, the 4400 and Medium, and it, it catapulted him into where he is today, which is huge, yeah. you know? And, and you know, it's a gift, you know? It it's, is, yeah. and we're so lucky to work yeah. in this industry and and tell stories for a living. And, and I mean, wake I, up I, every day doing what you love to do. It's, it's great. Yeah, and I, I mean, I go to bed, and I 
I think, God, I just wish it was six in the morning so I could get up and have my coffee and get over to the office. And, you know, because you never know when you're going to be out of work again. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and I've certainly. And that been, is part of and it. And that's part of the yeah, game. It is. So we're going to take our first break and then we're going to come back and dive a little more into Fairly Legal and how the writer's room works and everything and uh, Memphis Beat and, and Monk. And I also want to hear about the book of Daniel. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. And we are out with Blair Singer of Fairly Legal and Memphis Beat, and we will be back in just a moment. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jencrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Blair Singer of Fairly Legal and Memphis Beat. So tell me about, um, like, what script got you staffed on Fairly Legal? Uh, and I wrote what a, was that like? I wrote a script called Win With Less, um, Less L-E-S. Isn't that cute? Pun. Yeah. I normally don't like puns, but um, it seemed right. And it was about a, um, a man named Les Morgan who was a political consultant. And on the night that he brought one of his candidates to victory, he was caught in a hotel room with a Thai hooker doing blow off her ass. And, <laughs> wow. Um, and so, and then we go away and... and that's just the header of the, that's the teaser and and then when we come back he's just out of rehab and he's starting his life living in a halfway house and trying to put his life together in recovery it's a comedy uh a dramedy i, I like no that sounds great and it's something i'm proud of so I mean, dark humor it's dark, yeah, yeah I mean, or I, light humor you know i i um although fairly legal is you know fairly, fairly legal is light, light but i, I had to admit like looking at the pilot tone wise it started out in a lighter way but it definitely got into it, it some got to, dark yeah yeah i mean uh, i think you know michael did a story in the pilot about um these two kids from the hood and and one of them's gotten out and going to Yale and I, I mean I just think it's a beautiful story I don't know if you call it dark or light it's certainly the stakes are certainly high yes and it's certainly about some things that people don't normally talk about on television mm-hmm. um, you know I think the thing I love about Michael and and his style is um, Michael will find the joke but only if it's only if it's truly out of character and and within the story he could write jokes till the cows come home. He is, you know, he ran Caroline in the City uh, in its last year. And oh, great. he was a half-hour guy. Yeah. But he's um, he's a different writer than that. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's not just the set-up punch guy. Uh, in fact, I, I think he's gone away from that. I think he trained himself away from it. And he's a guy, he's the funniest guy I've ever met, but he uses it as a tool now. Mm-hmm. It's not just his go-to thing. Now it's just one of a million things he can do. Oh, great. Um, and so I think, yeah, I mean, Win With Less is a bit darker than Fairly Legal, only in terms of its, you know, where it begins and where it ends. But right. I think through it, you know, it's about a, a husband and a father who's 
really fucked up his life and trying to come back from that. Oh, that's and very universal. I thought yeah. after watching Californication, yeah. um, which I think is a really fun show, yeah. but it's the show that celebrates addiction. Right. And I wanted to write a show that celebrates recovery, but not, but in a funny way. And, right. And, and in a, so. Oh, they think that sounds great. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was the show that caught Michael's attention and right. then certainly caught Jan's attention as well. Um, and you know whether it sold or not, which it didn't, uh, wasn't. You got know, you in a good place. It got me it in a great place. Its purpose, yeah. And and it's still, you know, it's the piece of material. I mean, I was actually talking to my wife over the weekend, and my wife said, you know, I think it's the best thing you've ever written. And, um, oh, and that I'm, must feel great. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty great. And when you hit it, I mean, it is an interesting thing when you, of course. Uh, when you were writing it, did you feel like I'm? This is this is just working. You know, I uh, yes and no. I yeah. mean, there were times where I could recognize, yeah, that's working. Yeah. Um As I said, the, the um, uh, there was a person named Robin Bud, right, who sort of walked with me along the path right. of that script. Mentors are and, huge. Yeah, she was just yeah. you know that script has her all over it as well. I mean, right. she was very helpful in helping me get to what I wanted to write about. Right. And um, I I knew it was something I was passionate about. I didn't know how it would turn out. Right. Um, I always know that I do best when I've got a, you know, fire that's, you know, I'm pissed off about something and I've got to write about it. And I do worse when I'm trying to write something that I think will be successful because it's a marketable idea or um you know there's nothing wrong with that kind of writing it just doesn't work for me yeah but it's good to know that and i think when you go from the freedom of being able to write what you want and then the discipline of writing for a show you know it's definitely part of it with um with the writer's room on on fairly legal how do they break story we um you know, we're sort of all in at all times. Uh, we have five. Oh, that's a, a good. Team of five. So there is a writer's room. Oh, there's, there's a yeah. writer's room. I've only been on writer's room shows. I've never been on a show. That's great for that you. Was, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't I don't know that I would like it. I like being around people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I got into television is that you're part of this group. Um, I don't know that I'd want to just, you know, pitch something to a showrunner and then go away and write mm-hmm. my outline and come back and... Um, just too Although much. if you're getting paid, it's a beautiful oh, thing. Oh no, <laughs> getting, getting paid, I would make coffee. Yeah. But I then, do agree but, with you. I think if people had their way, I think the room probably generates more learning, more teamwork, more. If you, you have know. the option of having yeah. five big brains instead of one kind of mediocre Jew brain, <laughs> take the five big brains and run with it. Um, so fairly legal was five of us, led right. by Michael, uh, right. and and Jan was his number two and a very strong number two. Um, and Jim Adler, who came off of Without a Trace Jim's with Jan, great. and he Absolutely. is has one of the strongest procedural minds. I mean, I, I I make a prediction here that within five years, Jim Adler will run his own show. Oh, that's and, great! Um, and probably won't hire me, which will piss me off. He'll just do it just to <laughs> just to get at me. We love Jim. Um, he's great. just a very talented writer. Um, and a, a writer named Benjamin Lee, um, who was a former lawyer and great. had been on the Eleventh Hour, mm-hmm. and just knocked a script out of the park and he was a staff writer and just you know so much more than what you would expect from a staff writer Mm -hmm. um um, you know michael would come in sometimes with an article sometimes with for us for fairly legal you know it's it's we need 
we need stories that have two equal weighted sides, you know, of an emotional issue. So you've got a, a like in my episode, uh, which hasn't aired yet, but there is a, a guy who's trying to reunite his band. They had right. one, they, they were a one hit wonder. And there are emotional reasons for each side, for him wanting the band to come back together and emotional reasons for them not to want to get back in business with him. Right. And so we sort of start with two equal, two equal sides in an emotional situation. And um, and then we break the story from there, going you know starting in the teaser, maybe talking about act outs a little bit, um, but you know then going through breaking the story, then going back through and filling it in, and then going back through and until the writer of the episode felt like I got enough to go off to outline. Oh, I think that's great. Uh, but I mean that that sounds like a, a very good method as far as. Uh, it feeling safe for a yeah. writer coming into it and really because I think the hardest part about news shows and certainly in this day and age when there are so many channels to choose from it used to be that you were given more time and it used to be that unifying the vision of the showrunner the network and the studio could take five to eight shows and you had it but now you don't have you, that right. so it it really is the urgency of trying to figure out how to get the team meshing in a quicker way it sounds like this is a method that that works well with that yeah being i mean conducive i've been on one new show before fairly legal which right. was book of daniel and that was such a different beast because you had two studios. Right. You had a network with a new network president. Um, you had a showrunner who had come from half hours, now working in hours. Fascinating. On a show about I didn't religion, realize it. Which wow. is tough. Religion yes. being a, a very hard subject to try yeah, to, very you know, hard. nobody's really knocked it out of the park on television. Right. And it was shooting in New York. It was writing in LA. I mean, there were just, you know, from the jump, there were a lot of challenges. Yeah. Um, and the show got picked up late, so it the room, you know, it was people who were kind of still around. That's right. not no no slouch on anybody who was in that room, but it may or may not have been the showrunner's first choices. Right. I th and then once we got picked up, we went very quickly, and so it all felt very rushed, and it felt very pressured, and it was um, the room reflected that. Mm -hmm. Um. So I think with Fairly Legal, what was so thrilling for me to find, um, just for me personally and for my own success, was that I was with a showrunner who's been around the block um, but had spent the last 10 years, you know, in his, what I call in the shed, you know, just was my brother when he was a saxophone player and I mean still is and and he goes to practice he says I go I go in the shed and I practice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Michael's a guy who spent the last 10 years writing hour-long television and he's right. just been going into the shed and yeah and now he's having you know the shed has paid off for him he's got fairly legal he's got a pilot at Lifetime with Carrie Ann Moss great um I and, work with Carrie Ann at Carrie Ann Moss at Spelling. She was on Models Inc. She's fantastic. Yeah, she so, is. So you know, it's all paying off, and he's, and he's, uh, he's, he's, just so confident and willing to stand up and and lead, and um, and bring people in, 
you know. Well, uh, good. And now, what about Memphis Beat? So, what what is that writers' room like? Memphis Beat, very similar. Right. Very similar. Um, it's run almost exactly the same way. Right. Um, you know, I think the writers' room at Fairly Legal reflected both Michael and Jan. Right. And I think Jan brought a lot of her influence into it. Um, and so when we got to Memphis Beat, it was sort of, you know, and, and, and Jan brought Jim and I over, and it was kind of like the characters changed and, and the showrunner changed, which is big, but nothing really, you know, we just started back and said, what are the stories that this show should tell with these characters? Let's get to work. Okay. Oh, because um, so, knowing that you work well together, I mean, I think this business relationships are everything. I yeah. mean, when you have. That's all it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, and, and then it's also when you have strong mentors and people teaching you a lot for you to do that for others. So I think it's great that you did the teaching to really start to get a sense of what that is. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a student who's now, he moved out here. He was a Yale educated lawyer, and then he decided he. I mean, he had practiced law for a while, and then he decided he wanted to be a writer. And um, most most lawyers, most do. lawyers <laughs> do, and and some become great ones. I'm yeah. working with a writer now, Bill Chase, yeah. who runs oh, Franklin great. and Bash, and yeah. he's a consulting on, and he's fantastic. Yeah, and, he is. You know, his his law training only helps Ted him. Ted Humphrey but, over at the Good Wife. Yeah, there yeah, are lots of great lots lawyer, of great David lawyer Kelly, writers. Yeah, um, but Marcus came out, and he and he just. Uh, he had taken a class I taught at primary stages and, and he finally moved out here and he and his fiance moved out here and he's been banging away. And after about a year and a half, which is not that long of a time, but he's, you know, uh, he's had another career. So it felt a little bit longer for him. He got a manager at anonymous content. Great. And he called me to congratulate. Great. Uh, for, I mean, he called me to tell me and I congratulated him. Great. And then I said, okay, now it's your turn to help the person behind you. Yeah. Um, totally agree. I, I think it's really important. You have that, to pass it on. You yeah. ha- I can't tell you how many writers I have sat across from me and I've said, so who have your mentors been? And you get this blank look. And it really saddens me because I came from having a very strong mentor for 12 years with Aaron Spelling. And, and as a result of that, mentoring is a huge part of my business and a huge part of my belief system. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it is something that I always like to dive into with people because, you know, it's we learn things and the things we learn have value in, in the mistakes we make as well as the, the peaks we hit are important. And it's important to pass the story on to others so they understand how to do it, so they don't maybe make some of the same mistakes we did so that maybe they do hit some of the peaks we did. And right. and it's important, you know? I mean, I, I, it's a highly competitive business. And I can understand how some bad behavior comes about mm-hmm. of not wanting to mentor mm-hmm. people. Yeah. I just... Because the fear is, what if they're a better writer better? than I what am? What if they take my job? Yeah. You know, who, who are the people nipping at my heels? Do you want to know what was fascinating, though? I went to the WGA last week and saw all the writers that were um, nominated and uh, feature writers and for the Oscars. And it was interesting seeing the dynamic because you think when you hit that point right that you're at a place as a writer where okay i'm here i feel and it was so fascinating because one of the writers i think it was a writer one of the three writers from the fighter who 
said that he also had read The Social Network and Aaron Sorkin was there. And he said, I read it up until page two and then I put it down because I was so depressed because I <laughs> knew I will never write as well Be as able that. To do that. And it yeah. was so honest. Yeah. I mean, you know? I, I, I think it's... Uh, I think it's good to know yeah. who you are as a writer yeah. and to to be able to appreciate writing and other writers is really important. Um, Stephen King has a great book about writing. Oh yeah, he does. And yeah. and his big thing is if you're not a if you don't have time to read, then you don't have time to write. Mm -hmm. And my feeling is, you know, I, I work with writers who are better than I am. Right. And um, you know, Memphis Beat, Jay and Nash and and Jim Adler and not to say anything, but Others those two in particular. Well, yeah, those two. Um, they inspire you. They, to, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. And so, um, I'm a better I'm a better writer for being around them every day. Yeah. Why would I not want to take what I learn and then give that to somebody else yeah. who then may yeah. you know eclipse me and teach me something else yes. or get their own show and hire me? Yeah. I mean, I always it's tell true. writers assistants, yeah. you know, uh, we sit around and we talk about the day and we talk about the business, and one of them said, "Are you?" Are you like trying to train me? I mean, what's going on? I said, I'm just trying to be there for you so that when you get your show, you won't forget the <laughs> chubby Jew That's so who true. needs a job. I always say today's assistants are tomorrow's leaders. I mean, we just, you know, it is certainly in Hollywood. I mean, assistants run this town. So yeah. it really is recognizing that uh, create strong relationships everywhere and keep them going to keep yourself working. Um, as far as uh, Monk and Book of Daniel, you talked about Monk and Weeds. Right. Tell me about your experiences. Monk was yeah. an interesting experience because um, Andy Breckman, who created it and ran it, um, and a, a, a just a very, very funny man, and knew what his show was, which was what I really learned about uh, working for the year on Monk. Um, Andy, Andy's brother had been sort of a guy who was on staff, but also Andy liked to write uh, late at night, and he liked to kind of have somebody there on the phone with him that he could sort of talk it out and just know that somebody was there. Um, that was part of his process. His brother had done that for for years, and then his brother went off to do his own pilot, and I kind of took his job while his brother was off doing a project called Underfunded at USA. Um, and it was a fascinating job because... They were in season five of Monk. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew what worked for them. Um, they knew how to break story like nobody's business. And so I got to see a very confident room of guys who knew each other really well, who worked as a unit. Mm -hmm. um, I also got to work in New Jersey, which was nice for me because I live great. in New York. So yeah. that was a big plus. Um, eventually, I don't think it was, you know, I mean, there are probably a million reasons for why I didn't stay. Um, none that I feel terribly responsible for, though at Weeds I do feel responsible for not being there because I think my my behavior wasn't um, always top notch. But um, but I'm but you learned. Yeah, but I learned. But yeah. I learned, and and um, and I'm grateful for it because yeah. I wouldn't be where I. Not that I'm some great. I mean, I, I feel like I'm in a great place in my life, both personally and professionally. And I think without that experience, I wouldn't be there. Right. I learned a tremendous amount from it. But Monk for me was it, it was it was not my natural go to writing place, and so eventually I think I I wasn't long for the world there just because it wasn't what I do. Okay. Um, I think I'm much more of a serialized storyteller um, who 
you know, procedure is my weakest point. What's great about Memphis Beat for me is it is a procedural with with comedy and character, but it's a procedural. And so every day I'm learning more and more about how to do that, how to drop clues, how to right. build the puzzle. But I think at Monk, I, I was sort of a little lost okay. on that on that side. Right. I could do some of the comedy, but on the procedure and the cop stuff, I was a little bit lost. Yeah. Um, Weeds was a different situation. It was a v- it was in season three. Um, they were already a big success. I was v- I loved the show when I um, got hired. I thought season one was was darn near perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I counted I that know. out of the first thirteen episodes, I cried eleven of them. Right. Um, I I think Mary Louise can do no wrong. Yep. Um, and I and and I thought the writing really supported a brilliant talent to Mary Louise and. Um, for me, it was a situation of a lot of powerful personalities in that room, and I was trying to keep up. And I was trying to keep up with the only way I knew how, which was to be myself. But I I, I didn't sort of realize that I was the new guy. I sort of came in as if I had been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I think that was insulting to the people who had been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And... um. That's a good thing for writers to hear. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you, if you come in on a new show, uh, if you come in on a new show, you're part of the establishing the, the dynamic. Beginning. Yeah, you come in on a show that's been around for a while. You know, even if you think you're picking up on the dynamic, you're not. Right. You know, and so being laying back for a month. Yeah. Too much. I mean, it's hard because you want to contribute, but you yeah. also don't want to step on toes and i think i smashed a lot of feet (laughs) i know i did um i think if i had subjugated myself i don't know that i would have gotten fared any better yeah um but the gift of all of it really is when you look at it you wouldn't be where you are now if that experience didn't happen right so it is you know there's a reason for all of it absolutely you know i i don't think any of us go into situations like we're in in the entertainment industry knowing everything from the beginning yes you know very often is we learn through making our mistakes yes you know so that well i look you know i've been married um i'm going on eight years to really spectacular i mean it's just you know she's my life and uh and i think of and i i think about all the girlfriends before that it didn't necessarily work out well with and i think but Thank God for them, because if I hadn't had them, it wouldn't have led me. You know, it's, yeah. it's that whole thing. It is exactly but, like and that. And I feel that way about writer's rooms. Working is, on shows here, it, is, I mean, in meeting people, is very much like dating. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I mean, so I think that that's a very comparable parallel that you made. I think that's great. I definitely want to talk about your webisode stuff, because I feel like that it's so funny. When I think about like three years ago, how they thought that everything was going to the web and yeah. and oh no TV was in trouble and and all of it was going but they just have not figured out how to monetize it. Um, what um, the Suffersons has gotten, you know, th- hundreds of thousands or hundreds millions, gazillions. Hundred thousand. My people, mother has viewers. Yeah. Um, what? Tell me about what the webisode process is. I feel like I, I never quite bought into everything's moving to the web and right. content is content is content. Yeah. And um, you know, I think by Comcast buying NBC and you're seeing just you know 
it's all under some delivery service, whether right. you're getting it on your computer or on your television. People are always going to want to sit around and watch stories. Yes, and, and always, no matter what they're watching it on. That's yeah. right. And they may be two-hour stories. They may mm-hmm. be 30-minute stories. They may be two minutes. And, and I think for the Suffersons, what I wanted – I wanted to look into how people were watching video on the web, and and I wanted to write something specifically for that. And also, I wanted to write something that was cheap that I could shoot quickly. Um, and so I wrote basically a one room. The tent there's uh, I think there's eleven actually. It started as twelve episodes. It, right. You know, the the studio decided to do, shoot eleven. Right. Um, because I ran out of money. Um, <laughs> but it was 11 episodes that were, none were longer than two minutes. They all took place in the kitchen of a Brooklyn couple. It was my downstairs neighbor let me use his kitchen. Two minutes. So how long were the scripts? I mean, the scripts were- So did were... you write it like one script and then just No, I, I wrote them little pieces. Okay. But I knew, I, you know, I, I broke it. I, I, I outlined it. I, I broke it like a regular right. thing. That's what I've heard. Like I, just... I heard uh, Quarter Life. Wrote like a one-hour script type and then split it up. Yeah, I mean, I think with Quarter Life, right. to me, the thing why I think people on the web, once it went back to the web, why why I think people on the web, from what I understand, rejected it. Right. Was that it was not something of the web. Right. And and what I've learned from my from the little that I know about web culture, but right. my, my brother-in-law runs RocketBoom.com, and he's right. very steeped in right video on the web. Excuse me. And if it's not of the web, then people are looking at it and feel like you're trying to get one over on them. Right. And so for, for me, with the Suffersons, I wanted to be born out of the stuff that I was watching on the internet that I thought was interesting, cool. There's a thing called The Berg yeah. that shot in Williamsburg that I thought was really fun. Right. Uh, there was one called The Line that some comedians did that was really fun. Um, what is the log line for the Suffersons? The Suffersons is uh, a Brooklyn couple who can't stand each other but love each other but can't stand each other but love each other. I mean, it's just... Ozzie it's and a, Harriet. It's a Brooklyn marriage. <laughs> you know, the Suffersons is basically... Um, uh, no, I'm not going to say that. The <laughs> Suffersons... I'm trying to think. Uh, there was a... a but there used to be a radio show called The Bickersons. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, and so The Suffersons is sort of my okay. modern day version. I like that. Um, and That's it's, good. It's, uh, what inspired it? Uh, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> you know, look, I am a Jewish guy married to a Jewish woman. We're passionate people who sometimes argue. Right. And uh, my wife happens to be an extraordinarily funny human being right. who um, is also a writer and very good with words and sometimes uses those words <laughs> to um, mock me. Right. And um, and so that was sort of where the inspiration was. Right. But it oh, it I definitely like is not me and my wife. No, uh, but I it, like that. But it was a, it, You're adding fiction to your truth. That's right. That's everything was, I teach. It was born so out of, right. you know, maybe yeah. an idea I'd had once at home yep. that then flowered into something. Oh, different. that's great. But I, I think the web is a good opportunity for for particularly now for young writers to get stuff made. Yeah, I and, agree. And um, then get like a following. That's right. And that, get people yeah. to look at it and you know How does one sell a webisode well, to sell, Rocket Boom? Or well, sell sell let's they not have use to the make sell it word. and then you just put it on. I mean Rocket Boom is not a fiction content site. Right. Um I don't think anybody should make a webisode hoping to sell it. Right. Cuz cuz as you said Nobody's figured out a way to monetize yeah. it. Make it 
because you want to tell Art. stories in short yeah. little segments. And and then you'll see what you can do with it. Maybe you walk into that agent with your spec script and a DVD of the web of the webisodes or you walk into a meeting with a development person and you say you want to know what I want to do and you flip open your computer and you play it yeah I think it can be a tool it's content yeah it's content and it's use content. it uh, do it because you want to do it don't yeah. do it because you think it's going to get you ahead or it may get you ahead right but do it because you have passion behind it and then you'll figure out how you can use and it and you have platforms for yeah. it now there's yeah. How much um, budget-wise for something Cost like me a what grand. You did? Okay. With pizza <laughs> and a lot of favors. That. See, that's good for people um, to know But this. I think, you know, you it's call... It's a creative outlet. That's, that's right. That's a great thing. You know, I had... Uh, I needed to make something. Yeah. And um, I called in a lot of favors. I had two brilliant actors, one named Michael Chernus and one named Susie Porfar. Right. And I paid them, but it was a pittance. I mean, I, you know, they're worth a million times more than what I paid them. And free pizza, and then I uh, a director named Jack Youngelson, who's a um, documentary director, mm -hmm. but a, a brilliant, funny guy, and you know could be directing TV or features if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. He's just extraordinary. He did it for free. He found some crew members, you know. But we shot very low tech. Was more um, a labor of love for yeah. everyone. No, yeah. that sounds good. Now with Lonely Girl, what? So Lonely Girl kind of gave you the experience to yeah. understand what what was your experience. Lonely like Girl Lonely had Girl? been around for a couple years. It had already sort of it had it reached its peak, mm -hmm. and then they wanted to kind of take the storytelling up to another level. And uh, there's a writer who um, who I had been friends with who called me and said, "I'm taking over this web series. They want to kind of raise the game." You don't have to come out to Los Angeles. We'll just do it while you're in New York. You can help me pitch them, and you know you write, you know, two or three of them a week, and I'll pay you per script. And it was all very on the fly, and um, but it was a great introduction into the web and to see the fan base that uh, the company who who created Lonely Girl was called Equal, mm -hmm. and really they were about creating a social network right. around. A series, okay, and so that was interesting. You know, yeah. seeing that it's not at this point the business right. I want to be in, right? Um, but it's certainly an interesting world that right. is out there that I knew nothing about, right? Um, their fans are very passionate, or were I don't right. know how the show is doing anymore. Um, and they would do you know three or four minute videos, and they were part of a bigger mythology, and um, and it was very. I Ryan think it, was, it seems like it has served as a good stepping stone for people going to the web absolutely. and learning what it is, telling story in a different format. And not just a yeah. stepping stone for people starting out. I mean, you look at Funny or Die stuff, and yeah. there are actors who are changing their perception in the business based yeah. on three-minute videos. Yeah, um, that's it, great. It definitely has the power. You can definitely get it into somebody's home or into somebody's workplace Yeah, if it's of a quality. Yeah, or if it's a cat who's stoned playing piano, you know, <laughs> no. one or the other. One of the just one one of those elements. Um, all right. So now going on into and I, and I know for one of our our last questions, I'm I would love for you to, to beatbox. <laughs> no, no, it's not going to happen. To give some insight to writers starting uh, out their careers right now. Look, you know. To me, it's it's all about waking up in the morning and going to work. And um, 
we all have, you know, when I started out, I had day jobs that took up most of my time. And then I was trying to date. And then I was trying to, you know, go see other theater that was out there or, or movies that were out there. And there's never enough time. And the point is you make time. If you want to be in this business, you find the time to write and you do it. I think it's I, I think that's first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, I read this great quote recently by a writer named gosh, I think his name was Adam Rifkin. And it was on this website called Device for Writers by John Winokur, I think is the guy's I follow the Twitter feeds, social media. Right. It's everywhere. Right. Um, we like that. But the quote was basically you can't you can't fail in Hollywood. You can quit. Right. You can at some point say, Well, I wrote five great screenplays and none of them sold, so I'm going back home. Right. But you can't fail as long as you wake up and you get up every morning and you write something. They yeah. can't stop you from writing. Right. That's what I realized. Right. They cannot buy something. Okay, so you write something else. You know, I wrote with them with last best thing I've ever written didn't sell got me a job someplace else and if that one hadn't done it I'd have written something else mm-hmm. and if that one does and and you're you know next year if Fairly Legal doesn't get picked up or Memphis Beat doesn't have a season three I'm gonna write a new piece of material because I gotta get out there and you know that's great you're piece always of making keep writing keep writing yeah. keep writing new stuff keep stretching what you think you do but don't go keep too keep writing fa- new stuff I think is the biggest thing most people go on staff and they stop writing new scripts it's death yeah it's death and and you know you can move your way up if the show if the show keeps on and then you you know you become a co-ep and you don't know how to write anymore because you've just been you know doing that one thing yeah you know i'm fortunate that i work with a lot of writers who know that they need to write other things while they're doing Uh and and because it makes the job that you're doing it makes you better at that job i'm better at at Memphis Beat because I'm working on a play right. in from 8 to 10 and right. 10 o'clock I'm fresh and I, my juices are going and I'm ready to write on Memphis Beat right. um, so I think that and I think find your people yeah. and don't be afraid to ask for help find I mean, your people you know, like one, that and don't be afraid to ask for help one like of the reasons of and you know I don't know if you'll cut this out because it, it, you know, it's self serving but one of the <laughs> reasons okay. I wanted to come do this podcast right. is because I believe you're one of the few people in this business who offer their services to oh. writers who is it's you know it, it can be a, a, a field where people can prey on the weak mm-hmm. and say oh I'll help you write your screenplay and I'll you know mm-hmm. I'll show and there are a lot of charlatans and you are one of the few beacons of Thank light you. that people can come to and ask for help and get guidance but not get taken over I mean, you're going to help people find their best script and also know where to take the next step. And, you know, I don't know if you introduce people. I don't know any of that. But I I know you would say to somebody, okay, you've got this script. Here's where I think you Mm -hmm. should go. Here's, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not just going to get you to a great script and then leave you out in the wilderness. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you about the business. I'm going to, you know, put you in front of these podcasts. And Well, and it, it's empowering the individual to understand, like, writers now are more than ever entrepreneurs. Right. So it's really empowering the entrepreneur to not put your destiny all in the hands of your manager or your agent. And if you don't have one, then it is recognizing that you can still get a job and you can make your career happen. And as soon as you get your foot in the door on that job, suddenly they're going to come running. That's right. So it is, you know. And and I mean, I think saying it's an entrepreneurship is 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 really true. And I would I would even add to that that I think every year you're starting a new business. Yeah. Because 
the business that you did last year could have worked for you last year. Yeah. But if that show doesn't go, you've got to, again, start yeah. a new business. It's like oh, a rebirth. It yeah. is. Yeah. And and so I think, I think get up and do it, but also get out and find the people who, find your people who can who you can pitch ideas to and say you know you know Jen I'm I'm thinking about either doing this action show you know where there's a crash every week or or maybe I'll just write this little thing about the and then you say you know Blair you know you're really better at the little thing about the dad and the that's more your thing mm-hmm. and if you write into that then you know and I'll help you along there and I think it's important to have those people yeah. otherwise otherwise it's a you'd spend a lot of time in your apartment wondering why it's not going better. Yeah. Um, I think you need to... Well, it's why I love what I do. Yeah. So I, I, I can look at that and say, and, it, and when we look at all, when you see growth in an individual and you can help inspire a direction, it's it's rewarding. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's not a script that I have in play, theater, you know, on the web that there aren't 20 people behind me who have yeah. done a lot of work on it. It takes a village. Yep. It does. It and, takes... and not to be afraid of that. Yeah. I mean, we do have this impression. There are those people yeah. like David Milch and Matt Weiner and, you know, Kurt Suter and, or Sutter, I don't know how to yeah. pronounce his name. And I'm sorry, Kurt, if you're listening, who who can do it, right. you know, who sort of have have the mo- Aaron Sorkin, who can kind of do it all themselves. Yeah. Uh, I'm not betting that I'm that kind of person. I know I'm not, and and so for me, I need this community who says, "We know you're good at this thing. We're gonna help you, but I'm good at I'm good at something else. I'm yeah. gonna bring my talent to the thing that you're trying to do, and together, you know, we'll sort of push up the mountain together. Yeah, and I, I think knowing that you don't have to do it alone, that there are a lot of people in this out there, some, you know, that you can find people out there. Who will help you push the stone up yeah. the hill? Um, is really important. It's important for longevity. Sake. Yes, I agree. So oh, I think that's, that's my advice. Great. All right. Well, I have to say I, that's a great note to end on because that was amazing, and I lo- I loved everything you tapped on. I now know I'm, that our I'm, listeners I'm gonna are going to love that. Now. <laughs> no, no. Sorry. I know that oh, our sorry. listeners sorry to are going to love it. So with that, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was incredible. Thank you so much for all of your insight on everything that you've done. And I'm excited to see your upcoming episode on Fairly Legal. Thank you. Yeah. Thursday nights, 10 p.m. on USA. Yes, exactly. All good. We we like the plugs, and and it's a great show, and it's a fun show. Thank you. It's great people behind it, so we look forward to seeing what happens in the future. Uh, this is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. We are out. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions.